Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. Yeah, that's right. I said where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. I'm doing all the research. I know where y'all are listening. I know how you're tuning in. We had one from Australia last month, and we had 15 in India. You want to know why I say where you are in the world? Because we're tracking all of it. We're huge on the Pacific Rim. We're dominant in Asia. This podcast is global, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. I am Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode 41 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I'm gonna give you a little Q&A, a little compare and contrast around associate equity solutions, buy-in versus earn-in. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit more about buy-in situations like we talked about on the previous episode. Gonna give you a few other questions to think about for yourself and that you need to resolve to help you find the best solution to solve your associate equity problem. You know it's gonna be a note-taking episode. It's always a coffee-filled episode. Get your pad and pen ready, brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Well, welcome everybody once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon, this morning, this evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. Today, we're going to talk through some considerations and some questions around associate equity models. So last week, I took the time to go through the way we approach buy-in structures. Uh, We had gotten a lot of questions about traditional buy-in methodologies and why they weren't the right solution. And I had to slow a bunch of people down and say, it's not that they're not the right solution. We just tend to focus on the the earned equity models, profits, interest units, and restricted stock units most often. But buy-ins certainly do have their place and time, and they can be appropriate. If you didn't listen to that episode or you haven't heard it yet, where have you been? Why aren't you listening? Go back and listen to the other episode. This one will build upon that. We're going to talk questions, considerations, buy-in versus earn-in to try to give you some groundings around what the right methodology is or a couple of different ways to think or, uh, about it. Typically, there is not a foolproof solution, all right, at least not in the group practice context. But you want to think through a handful of things first and foremost. So when somebody uh, books a call with me and they want to talk about associate equity solutions and they say, you know, uh, I've heard your podcast or, you know, I've, I've got I'm losing associates. What should I do? What's the right answer? I end up asking them a long laundry list of questions. Um, and, you know, there for me to, to find out the what I think is the best methodology or the right solution, it's not a one size fits all um, uh, scenario. So a couple of things, and this is in no particular order of importance, but you want to think through uh, and consider 
where you want to offer equity. And, and by that, I mean, is this a practice level consideration or is it a company level equity consideration? There's pluses and minuses to both, as you would well imagine. Um, and, you know, some general trains of thought uh, are that, you know, the, the traditional buy-in methodology um, that we talked about on the last episode, as well as typically speaking, profits interest units are genuine, generally better suited at a practice level. That's not foolproof. That's not 100%. There are exceptions to every rule, and there's a rationale and, and a reason why that might not be the answer for you. But most of the time, I would say, if you're looking to, to limit your um, uh, equity uh, opportunity, be it buy-in or earn-in, uh, you're probably going to be looking at uh, a, a, a practice level for traditional buy-ins and, and in the context of profits interest units. Restricted stock units typically work better um, with a, a an equity opportunity at a company level. This is restricted stock units are where an associate has a goal, uh, personal collections, they exceed the goal, they earn some amount uh, in shares of the of the uh, business, and it's usually calculated at a hold co level or DSO level. All right. So when we're thinking through, do you the equity that you're wanting to offer, not just the methodology, but where uh, this is impacted by uh, legal structure? Obviously, uh, if it's practice level, you're probably thinking along the lines of traditional buy-ins or profits interest units, whereas um, at a company level, you're almost decidedly restricted stock units. Um, it could be traditional buy-in at a company level, um, nothing wrong with that, but usually if they're going to buy in, they want a, a bigger piece of a smaller pie, and that's probably going to be practice level. Um, is the business or are the practices mature, fully formed, fully functioning, um, near maximum value potentially? And if the answer to that uh, is that the practice is mature, a traditional buy-in, like I mentioned last week, uh, is probably a very good methodology. Profits interest units could be the right methodology and restricted stock units could be the right methodology, even at a practice level. All right. So again, these are not foolproof 100%. There's still more considerations to them. Uh, but is the prof is the practice mature is another question you want to consider. Um, you're looking to offer equity, but you're looking to offer equity to a lead associate or an anchor dentist only versus offering it to all associates based on their merit or their personal performance. So do we want to offer equity to to a limited number of people that are kind of hand-picked, lead associate or, or anchor doctor? Uh, or is it, hey, this is a program that's going to impact everybody. It's based on performance. Those that chin to a higher bar get the reward and those that don't, don't. All right. So who you're going to offer it to or how many people you're going to offer it to. In the context of a lead associate, um, that traditional buy-in is, is probably the right opportunity and uh, at a and at a, pra a practice level profits interest units it's also probably the right methodology if on the other hand if you want to offer it to all associates restricted stock is probably the right way to go because that's going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats 
offering equity to all associates and profits interests is a little bit more problematic. We really don't, you can do it, but we don't really recommend it. It gets really complicated. And traditional buy-ins are a, are a maybe at best, arguably better off for an anchor doctor or a lead associate. Um, is there going to be some amount of debt required by the associate um, or could there be? And this is one where obviously on a traditional buy-in, the vast likelihood is that there is going to be debt required on behalf of the associate unless they have a very rich uncle. We do see something called a capital call occasionally with both profits, interest, and restricted stock. That's a nominal buy-in. It's probably 50 grand, 100 grand, something that uh, a high-performing associate could probably write a check for without having to take on a bank loan. So it's a nominal buy-in, whereas a traditional buy-in is a like a 20 to 40% stake in the practice, and that's probably a couple of hundred thousand dollars, which would require a loan. So is there going to be associate debt required? You, almost always yes on traditional buy-in, almost always no on profits, interest, and restricted stock. If there is um, debt required, is there going to be some type of cross-collateralization impact to the business? I would say yes on traditional buy-in and again, no on profits, interest, or restricted stock. So that's that's another question that kind of goes hand in glove. Is there going to be de uh, debt required on behalf of the associate? And if so, will it end up cross-collateralizing your business, um, that is uh, uh, something you want to think through because that can have an impact on your growth strategy. What about the number of locations? That's something else to consider. Are you looking to maintain the number of locations that you have, or do you want to add locations and continue to grow the business that you have? I would tell you that if you're looking to maintain the, uh, the number of locations that you have, Traditional buy-ins and profits interest units are, are probably the right structure. Restricted stock on a maybe, um, occasionally yes, sometimes no, but uh, probably more uh, maintaining the number of locations is a traditional buy-in or a profits interest unit type of scenario. But if you want to add to locations, that tilts probably more towards your restricted stock unit scenario. Continuing to expand the footprint, grow the business, wonderful uh, complement with the restricted stock unit type of a, a methodology. I would say maybe on traditional buy-ins and profits interest unit for uh, expanding the number of locations. Um, it, they could be the right answer, probably restricted stock. So number of locations is another consideration. What about, is there an exit strategy? Are, are you looking to sell the business potentially at some point in time? And if so, are you predisposed to sell the business to an external buyer, i.e. an established group, meaning a strategic buyer or a private equity company, a financial buyer? Or could this potentially be an internal buyer, meaning a group of associates that have a small stake in the business currently, and uh, you would rather that they continue to control the business. So they're gonna they're gonna buy you out, maybe in one fell swoop, maybe gradually over time, 
but that would be more of an internal transaction with your existing associates. So how do we think through selling the business? And, and are we predisposed to say it's going to be an external buyer for maximum valuation, or it's an internal buyer for uh, maintaining continuity uh, and independence to a degree? If it's an external buyer, that's really situated more toward a profits interest unit uh, methodology or a restricted stock because there's um, a lot of merit in the way the vesting schedule occurs and the, the candidates are realizing the full potential of the earned equity scenario. That's not to say that uh, an external buyer wouldn't be appropriate for a traditional buy-in, but I think it's more heavily suited toward the growth of the business that we see in the other two contexts. On the other hand, if you're looking to sell to uh, an internal buyer or a group of internal buyers, that's obviously more oriented towards traditional buy-ins, possibly restricted stock and profits interest, but the likelihood would be more traditional buy-ins there. Uh, do we have a um, uh, target in terms of ownership percentage or potentially even dollars involved with the outcome we're trying to create for the associates? If it's ownership percentage, um, this is not a yes, no type of an answer. It's just kind of a, uh, you know, a range, if you will, of percentages. You know, in a traditional buy-in methodology, as I mentioned on the last podcast, they're probably going to end up buying somewhere between 20 and 40% of the business on a profits interest unit outcome, uh, especially at a practice level. They're probably going to end up you know, somewhere the blended average, about 20 to 30% of the total value of the practice at a profits interest units level. And in a restricted stock where they're definitely earning equity at a whole co level, the percentages are going to be very low, probably between one to 5%. The difference though, is that they own a smaller piece of a much larger pie. So the value in terms of dollars could be equal across the board even though the percentages are significantly different from one methodology to the other. I would tell you, if you're going to uh, have some type of a, an associate equity program, the number you're trying to solve for, and this is, a, again, a broad range in terms of dollars here, the number you're trying to solve for at the end of a 10-year run is probably in the high six figures to low seven figures. Call it like 800 grand to maybe one and a quarter or, or something along those lines. Obviously, higher, much higher value groups could skew a little bit higher than that. But it's important to understand where percentages and where dollars collide in these different methodologies and what they actually mean to the, the candidate in this case. Everybody gets wrapped around the axle on percentages, but really we can't spend percentages. We can spend dollars. You arguably should be more focused on the dollar outcome than the percentage outcome, um, which brings us to things like voting rights and distribution rights. Well, we talk about the fact that all of the equity solutions we're advocates for are ones that are real equity. They do typically carry both voting rights and distribution rights in addition to the equity rights of the, the, um, uh, of the structure itself. So when it comes to traditional buy-ins, it absolutely is going to carry 
a voting rights and distribution rights. If somebody writes you a check to buy into one of your locations or buy into your business overall, you better believe that they are going to have voting rights and distribution rights. On the other hand, earned equity structures like profits, interest, and restricted stock don't have to carry voting rights and distribution rights. That is something we work through with uh, with clients when we're working with a law firm to draft the legal agreements. But here's what I would tell you. If you're trying to promote the value of being a partner and you're doing it through an earned equity model, be it profits, interest, or restricted stock, and you're really trying to pump up their tires and get them excited about the program and the, the merits of the value of the shares they're creating, everything along those lines. And then you come back to them and say, but you don't have a vote and you're not entitled to distributions. That's a little bit, uh, in my opinion, it kind of undermines the validity of the equity in this context. Obviously, associates are really critically important to your future success. Uh, your current success and your, certainly your future success, um, and you want them to um, uh, be in the same boat, rowing with you in the same directions around decision making, which could be involved with uh, potentially selling the business. And if that's the case, allowing them to have voting rights, even though they can't vote you off your own island, and certainly allowing them to have distribution rights when distributions are declared are critically important to, I would say, the governance of the business. So while that's not required in profits, interest, and restricted stock, we would be big advocates to say that you should do so every bit as much as you would for somebody buying in in a traditional methodology. Um, vesting schedules. Once again, if somebody writes you a check, there's no vesting schedule for that. <laughs> so whether it's a a nominal buy-in like a capital call or a true traditional uh, associate buy-in, there that's 100% equity, 100% vested as soon as the check clears. Uh, on the other hand, profits, interest, and restricted stock should always carry a vesting schedule. Um, ours that we usually advocate for are five years. I've seen them done as little as three, but I would say five years is about the right time. Uh, and the reason for that is you don't want some crackerjack associate posting a huge number, blowing away a goal, earning a lot of equity, spiking the football, turning around and leaving. On the other hand, if you have a vesting schedule, they could do everything I just said, but they'd uh, basically forfeit everything they'd earned because none of it was vested. The vesting schedule is the retention mechanism, the way we talked about it before and always restricted stock and profits interest earned equity models should carry vesting schedules and never should traditional buy-in so legal structure considerations here's another biggie if you have a traditional buy-in methodology there's going to be an operating agreement at the practice level and you're going to have something called an asset purchase agreement which is going to be the buy sell transaction document for them to buy some dollar amount worth of uh, equity at the practice level or or at the company level. Uh, legal structure considerations for profits, interest, and restricted stock are most al almost always going to involve a legal DSO structure with the management services agreement, as well as operating agreement and something called an award agreement. The award agreement outlines the way the 
the equity is earned, the vesting schedule, the hurdles, all that kind of good stuff that we've addressed in prior podcasts. Um, so while there's not a formal D- legal DSO with an MSA involved in traditional buy-ins, usually it almost always would be in terms of profits, interest, and restricted stock. And that's because you're building a larger group practice and you would probably want to have that uh, management services fee and the management services agreement outlined and in place ahead of time before you rolled out the earned equity model. Okay, so we're trying to think a little bit ahead and minimize the amounts of uh, friction and replowing ground necessary upon any legal structure changes there. Tax implications can be a big one. So when you have a traditional buy-in, um, it, you know they are gonna the, the new partner um, is going to be ta- you're going to incur income taxes based on distributions. And then if the practice is sold, that's going to be long-term cap gains, maybe some depreciation recapture, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, Restricted stock and profits interest are earned equity awards. And when there is an occurrence of vesting, the value of those shares is taxed as income to the associate. The value of the shares upon vesting is taxed is taxed as income. Um, the uh, tax implications upon the sale of the entire business is long-term cap gains. All right, so a couple of different ways to have to think about that relative to vesting uh, versus distributions on a buy-in, um, but something that you definitely want to you want to think through ahead of time. Um, what about accounting structures and something called cap table updates? Um, once again, in profits, interest, and restricted stock, you've probably got a management company. Hopefully, if you do and the legal structure is set, you're working with account an accounting firm that can uh, set up the management company in the financial reporting context and do cost allocations to reflect the management services fee and all that kind of good stuff that's involved with it. Um, so there's probably going to be some level of an accounting structure that that mimics the uh, legal structure in an earned equity award, probably not in a traditional buy-in. Uh, cap table updates or capitalization table updates are something that your accounting firm or uh, Polaris, for that matter, can do for you on an annual basis as you have occurrences of vesting and new awards being earned by your associates. Much like as if you were a publicly traded company, you want to know the value of the shares on an annual basis. You want to know who's earned what each year and where they are in the waterfall of vesting so that you can communicate to them the value of their holdings. That's really important. Just like you get a statement from I don't know, your your uh, investment advisor or your 401k retirement plan company or something like that to see the value of your holdings. Um, you would want the same thing for your associates to see the value of the business and the percentage that they own. For that matter, valuation. Where does valuation occur? Well, valuation in a traditional buy-in and in profits interest units is going to be at a practice level, whereas with restricted stock, it's going to be uh, both at a practice level and a company-wide level, since that's where the equity usually resides. So 
I know I rambled through this a lot. I'm going to link to something in the show notes that's a downloadable slide on this that gives you a little bit better understanding. If you'd like to take a look at it, uh, feel free to. The questions and considerations from top to bottom, once again, are where do you want to offer equity? Company level or practice level? Uh, Is my practice or is my business mature, meaning fully formed, or is there still some uh, existing upside to it? Do you want to offer equity to all of your associates or to a lead associate only or an anchor doctor only? Is there going to be debt required on behalf of the associate to buy in? And if so, is there some type of a cross-collateralization impact to it? Growth. Do you want to maintain the number of locations that you have or do you want to add to the locations that you have? And exit. Do you want to potentially sell to an external buyer or are you looking to possibly do an internal transaction with your existing minority shareholders? Those are all questions and considerations that you want to think through when determining what's the best tool in the toolbox for you to achieve what you ultimately want to. Hopefully, this has given some level of compare and contrast around uh, associate equity methodologies. Again, there's no foolproof one way is the right way uh, to do this. Uh, It's really trying to think through where the business is now, what your goals are that you're trying to achieve, where you think the business may end up in the future, and who all you want to come along for the ride. So I hope that's helped. Feel free to drop me questions uh, or download the uh, Uh, the slide that we'll link to in the show notes. And hopefully that'll give you a little bit better background too. Stick around. I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So thanks everybody once again for joining me on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast today. Really appreciate all the great feedback we get from so many of you, as well as the ratings that we get, they are pretty doggone good, honestly. Uh, if you haven't given us a rating, this is a shameless plug to say, please do so. It helps with show rankings and everything else like that. And we uh, sincerely appreciate it. I would also like to say thanks to everyone who has uh, given us so many kind compliments on behalf of our new website. I don't know when the last time was that you looked at our website, but we are on version three of that that just launched about a week and a half or so ago. Uh, It is a total rewrite from top to bottom, uh, and it is a site that is intended to be uh, much more dynamic, one that we can update much more frequently, and frankly, one that will allow us to share more educational content with all of you, our audience. So I would encourage you to spend a little bit of time on the site. Um, There's tons of information to download. There's uh, white papers. Obviously, our podcast will be linked to off that. There's a lot of videos and video content to be seen on there. Landing pages for uh, events coming up, a calendar of where we're going to be and where we're going to be speaking or masterclasses that we're hosting. Our blog is on there. It's a wealth of resources, and and this is only the start. We've got some grander designs on how we can share more, um, hopefully, worthy content with our audience and and create a higher level of engagement. We want to be a resource for you, and we obviously want to tell the Polaris story, too. So for those who haven't, um, go to www 
PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. It's the same uh, URL as, as it always has been. Uh, and give us your thoughts. Hopefully, um, you'll like what you see. And if uh, there are things missing, um, please drop us an email or a comment and let us know what you'd like to see us add to it. Um, because our intent is to continue building on it. This is only um, version 3.0.1 about that. <laughs> so it'll have a future uh, growth potential to it as well. Once again, thanks for joining me on the show today. If you do have questions about anything I've gone over relative to associate equity or anything that else is on your mind, you can always drop me an email at heron at polarishealthcarepartners.com. And I really appreciate you being a listener and a subscriber. We will see you on the next episode.